I love the article, the main article, House to House, Heart to Heart, always has a main article inside. It also has, I don't know where they come up with the clever, most clever uh, little sayings right here. This little boy, he got on an elevator in the Empire State Building in New York City, and he and his daddy started to the top. The boy watched the signs flashing as they went by the floor, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. They kept going, and he got nervous. He looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, does God know we're coming? <laughs> So, you know, it has lots of little funny little sayings like that inside. But it has, this article is really, really good. And, and what caught my attention and, and the elders' attention and the reason we believe it was good to send out, it answers the question very well. Alan Webster does a great job. Uh, do you think you're the only ones going to heaven? Do you? We get that. You know, there's a lot of people that get that, that question thrown at them. I've had that question thrown at me many a time. And so have some of you after this morning's class. You came up to me and, and, and spoke to me about the times that you've had that uh, put upon you as well. And the answer that he gives in here is, is really wonderful. Uh, he, he says, non-church members ask church members. Muslims ask Christians. Protestants ask Catholics. The church asks the cults. Uh, denominationalists ask the Church of Christ. It is a question that generates strong emotion, it has started arguments and closed minds. Therefore, it could fall into the category of foolish questions to avoid because they cause strife. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4. On the other hand, it is a Bible question. The disciples asked, Who then can be saved? Matthew 19, 25. And we are to be ready to always give an answer of our hope, 1 Peter 3.15. It invites discussion of such essential doctrines as the church, salvation, heaven. It is appropriate to discuss, Luke 24.32, investigate, Acts 17.11, and evaluate, Isaiah 1.18, matters of the eternal soul. How else, how else can we prove or test all things and hold fast to the good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. So let's take the high road and put our emotions aside and simply appeal to God's Word. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to simply appeal to God's Word tonight. As we look, this is a series of sermons that we're going to do uh, this year. Uh, once a quarter, I'm going to be doing a series of these sermons. Uh, why I am not a blank, Okay. Uh, why I'm not a blank, and, 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 and each, each one's going to fill in that blank. Tonight, it's why I am not a Catholic. Why I'm not a Catholic. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles, and I hope you have your Bibles, because you're going to need them tonight. I want to show you from God's Word, as, as Brother Alan Webster said, uh, where I'm coming from tonight. Okay, I don't want this just to be, well, Chad said... This. Now, I want you to say when you walk out of here, the Bible says this, okay? So, it's, it, you know, it's not my place to question the heart of someone. But I believe it's fair and productive to tell you why I am not a Catholic and why I am a Christian. Now, that may seem strange to some ears. He's saying Catholics aren't Christians? Well, let me explain. It's my purpose in this sermon to tell you why I'm not a Catholic and why I am a Christian. And my Bible, you see, doesn't speak of Catholics or Protestants. The New Testament speaks of Christians only, disciples of Christ. I might startle, it might startle you to know the Bible is very narrow. You're either for Jesus or you're, you're against Jesus. 
The Bible is very narrow in its scope. But it's so broad in its scope as well because God wants all to be saved. Everyone. He wants everyone to be saved. So we, we must keep that in mind as well. The first scripture I need you to turn to is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are, there are pew Bibles in the seats that you can grab a hold of and, and use for yourself. Uh, you could be like my my pink fabulous son who's on his little iPhone right now and use your uh, computer on the, uh, <laughs> on the iPhone. Uh, the first scripture I need you to turn to, though, is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Did I say 12 and 13? Paul had heard from Chloe's house that there were contentions. They, they were divided among themselves. They were divided over people and names is what they were dividing over. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? God does not want His people to be divided. But the denominated religions of the world, which I refuse to take part of is the product of a gradual falling away that was given as a warning by Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. There are those who are always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. There are two reasons for this sermon and this sermon series. One we'll get to later, but a big reason for this sermon and why it matters is summed up in Jesus' words in John chapter 8, verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, and these are Jesus' words, the truth will make you free. Not a misunderstanding, not a lie. The truth will make you free, John 8, 32. Discussing religion with some is like discussing politics. Both of those you're not supposed to do at the dinner table, right? It's a problem because everyone has their, their own mind made up. A lot of times before you even begin to talk about religion. This is prevalent in America because of two ways of, of thinking. There's the man-made philosophy that America and much of the world has bought into called postmodernism. We had talked about that in, in our class this morning. That there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. What's true for you may not be true for this person. No truth is absolute. Each of us decides our own right and wrong. Well, that's a man-made philosophy, and it's not found in the Scriptures. And there's also what we have trouble with in America, there's also the, con the most convenient way of thinking that it does not matter where you go, just so you go. And you're sincere in your beliefs. Just so you're sincere. Both of these are man-made ways of thinking. And they cannot be found in the Bible. You, you can't find them here. These are ways that man says that you can obtain eternal life. But you can search 
the, the New Testament, even the Old Testament, over again. And you will not find this in God's Word. So in telling you why I could not be of the Catholic denomination, I would include all denominations. But I'll briefly, I'll briefly cover why I'm not a Catholic in my top five reasons of why I'm not a Catholic. Before I do, let me give you top five reasons it would be fun to be Catholic. All right? Number five, the good works that they do. I mean, a lot of poor people are fed. A lot of people are helped in, in third world countries. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of food is, is brought. A lot of medicine is brought. A, a, a lot of people... Uh, well, they just wouldn't be able to make it if that particular denomination wasn't in their area. They would die of starvation. They would die of thirst. So a reason I could be a Catholic is because of the good works that they do. Number four, the respect that 600 million strong give. That's how big the Catholic denomination is. 600 million people. That's amazing, isn't it? That's an amazing fact. And they give respect to their denomination. Number three, the tremendous power and influence throughout history, even today, the influence that they have. You know, I've always thought that the immigration problem in America could be solved if the Catholic Church would step up and say, hey, you can't come into our country illegally, you have to obey the government, just like the Bible says in Romans chapter 13. But you know what? They never have done that. They never have done that. But they have a lot of power and a lot of influence, even today. And then, number two, the pageantry. I mean, they have some of the most beautiful buildings that have ever been erected. And the gold and the fine tapestries and the, and the silk robes. Could you see me coming up here with this, this and then the collar and the, the pointy hat and the, you know, what, wouldn't I look dandy? Oh, the pageantry of it all. I think it's pretty. Number one, number one reason. I could be prayed out of hell if I was a Catholic. If I died, y'all could gather up some money and pray it to the church, and I could get pay, prayed out of hell. But you see, none of these reasons can you find in God's Word. None of these reasons are good enough to be a part of God's Word. So, we come to my five, top five reasons of why I am not a Catholic. The first, number five, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. As I've said, the truth in the Bible matters. It's not my intention to, to belittle anyone. That's not why I'm up here, to belittle anyone. But I do believe it's productive to show why I'm not a Catholic. And the number five reason I am not a Catholic is simply because... I wasn't born one. I wasn't born a Catholic. I grew up in the church. 
You know, I admire anyone who has been a part of a denomination all of their life and come to a knowledge of the truth and obeyed it. That's, some, that's someone that you can look at and you can admire. Because let me tell you something, that's hard to do. It's hard to give up on your ancestry. It's hard to give up on what mama and daddy have told you all of your life was good and right to do. I just happened to be blessed to be born into a family that were members of the church. And I grew up in the church. But if I had been born a Catholic, well, odds were I'd probably still be one. If I'd been born in India, I'd probably be a Hindu. If I'd been born in, in China, I'd probably be a Buddhist. I want you to thank God every day, church, for where you were born. And the privileges that you have to open up God's Word and learn for yourself what it says. It's a great privilege. I was raised in the church. And even though I tinkered with other denominations from time to time, I never really left. I never really left. We must all realize 2 Corinthians chapter 7, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. That God is able to make all grace abound to you. But we have to claim God's free gift, God's grace. God's rules apply to all of us. Look over at, look over at God's power to save in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. My pedigree will not save me. The fact that I was born to parents who were members of the church, and I grew up in the church, became a member of the church myself, my pedigree will not save me. But God will save me by His grace. I obey His power to be saved. I obey the gospel. I try to obey the gospel every day of my life. Just because one is born a certain way does not excuse the fact that God, God's will is going to be done. And we must be in line with His will be pleasing to God. Denominations from the jump by virtue that they are a denomination as I've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, they are not in line with God's will and I would hope that if I had been born a Catholic some one of you would have walked up to me and been brave enough to tell me the truth. That's what I hope. Which brings me to number four. The number four reason I am not a Catholic. And that's because they are a, a denomination. I look at Catholics. I look at Seventh-day Adventists. I look at Baptists, Muslims, Methodists, Buddhists, Atheists, etc., etc., etc. I look at them as all the same. 
my mind, they're all the same. Denominations are a system of religion. And if the system is wrong, then it's wrong to be a part of that system. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. I'm going to read through verse 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then that's what you have received, let him be accursed. For I do not for I do for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Man has always had a desire to follow other men. This innate desire. The Jews had made up a lot of extra traditions when Jesus, by the time Jesus came along. They had made a lot of extra traditions to God's Word by, by the time of Christ. And, and man is still doing that today. Look over at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is, is, is addressing the scribes and Pharisees here. Uh, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the, the, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Here we have the Pharisees and the scribes here. Here we have them uh, asking Jesus, Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat bread? That's what the traditions say to do. And what the scribes had done and the Pharisees had done over the years, they had taken this tradition and they had made it part of God's word. Not only did you have to obey God's word, but you also had to obey part of the, the, the traditions that they laid down. But this wasn't in God's word. This wasn't in God's word in, in the sense that they were saying. So Jesus answers, the, asked them a question. Why do you say, uh, why do you break the law with your traditions? In other words, you, you're supposed to help your mom and daddy. You're supposed to honor your mother and father. Yet, 
if, if you had a piece of land and what you were going to do with that piece of land, you, you, you were supposed to sell it so that your mom and daddy could live a good life, but you didn't want to do that. You wanted to keep that money for yourself. So what you said was, I dedicate this land to God, and then you'd never have to sell it. And then you could tell mom and daddy, mom and daddy, I dedicated that to God. I ain't got no money for you. They were using the traditions of men to make null and void God's word. People still do that today. They take traditions and bind them and wrap them in God's word. And when you wrap things in God's word, sometimes it sounds just right to do. But God finds that horrible. He finds that horrible. There are so many religions because so many follow the traditions of men. In the Catholic denomination, the church defines the Bible. But truth says that the Bible defines the church. Ultimate authority, as in all denominations, rests not in the scripture, but in the church, in the creeds of the church. Let me show you some things here. I'm show you some things, read you some things here. This was given to me by Mr. John Shannon. Okay, John Shannon. Uh, he's a, a black preacher, and he was at Polishing the Pulpit, and he preached a powerful lesson and gave me his little track on this, why I left the Roman Catholic Church. He says this, the Roman Catholic Church teaches the two, that the two sources of revelation today are the Bible and traditions. Please notice one of these quotes from one of their own books. It is affirmed that the Bible, sacred tradition, and the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church are so linked and joined together that one cannot stand without the other. This is from a Bible study about the Catholic denomination. The Roman Catholic Church's faith and doctrine is founded upon that deposit of faith given it by the by Christ and through His apostles, sustained by the Bible and tradition. The Bible and tradition are equal, is what he's saying. Catholic, Catholicism states, not all truths revealed for us by God are found in the Bible. Did you hear what that said? Not all truths revealed for us by God are found in the Bible. Some are found only in divine tradition. By divine tradition is meant the revealed truths taught by Christ and His apostles which were given to the church only by word of mouth and not through the Bible, though they were put into writing principally by the fathers of the church. Divine tradition must be believed as firmly as the Bible because it also contains the word of God. Now, either we're going to believe this or we're going to believe this. We've got to make that decision for ourselves. Let me read you something else. This is from Stafford North's uh, handbook on church doctrines. And he talks about the Roman Catholic Church. He says, ultimate authority for the church. It's not him who says this. This is, is uh, Cardinal Andrew Gibbons who wrote just about all of the traditions for the, for the Catholic Church. He writes this. Ultimate authority for the Catholic rests not in the scriptures but in the church. Ultimate authority. Now listen. Ultimate authority for the Catholic rests not in the scriptures 
but in the church. The church has authority from God to teach regarding faith and morals, and in her teaching she is preserved from error by the special guidance of the Holy Ghost. He says this, in Matthew 16, 18, Gibbons says, Christ makes a solemn prediction that no error shall ever invade his church, and that, she sh- that if she fell into error, the gates of hell have certainly prevailed against her. That's not even what Matthew 16, 18 even means. I want you to see here that I'm reading all this outside of the Bible. Okay? I haven't read all those things I read. I had to go outside the Bible to find them. I just wanted you to see that display right there. I could go on and on. I could go on and on. I want you to see that I'm going everywhere with the Bible to tell you all this. But follow with me in the Bible. Let's see what, the, what God's Word authorizes. Let's see what the Bible gives us. Okay, Turn over to John chapter 1, verse 1. Follow with me. The number three reason why I am not a Catholic is because of their, their view of Scripture and tradition. They put tradition on par with, with, with Scripture and authorize things that God's Word doesn't authorize, and in fact, conflicts with it. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was in the beginning with God. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. We do not need any more than Jesus. Notice what the Scriptures give us. Look over at John 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The Scriptures, notice, furnish all the necessary things that Jesus did Our faith is increased. Do you see that? It's increased. And we gain life from God's Word. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which He was taken up after until the day in which He was taken up after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles which He had chosen, to whom He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Do you notice what Luke writes here? The Scriptures furnish us the things that Jesus taught. We only need Jesus. Why would I need some other man when I've got Jesus? Turn over to Luke chapter 1. Luke, Dr. Luke, he writes not only Acts, but he also writes the, the, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as I have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The scriptures, notice here, the scriptures give us a perfect understanding and a certainty that we're on the right track. Nothing else can do this. All these extra things I've got up here, they can't do this. Only God's Word can do this. Only God's Word can show us that we're on the right track. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. First John chapter 1, verse 4. And these things we write to you, notice, that your joy may be full. By the Scriptures, our joy is full. We don't get that from any place else. Look, over, look down at uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We learn here from Scripture that we have protection from sin. And we don't have to confess to a man who's going to forgive us of our sins. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and speak through Jesus Christ to God Himself. Look over at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which were written in it, for the time is near. We are blessed by reading God's Word. We get a blessing that we can get from no other place but from reading God's Word. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. I told you, you needed your Bibles tonight. <laughs> Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. We are, notice, established... We get to understand mysteries. We get to learn how to obey the faith, not from anything that man can give us. We learn this from, from God's Word, not man-made traditions. Look over at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Let me begin with one. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already by which you read and which you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, we get to read and understand, did you hear that? We get to read and understand the mystery of Christ. We get to do that. We get to do that through God's Word. 
We can't do that through these other extra-biblical sources. The Scriptures furnish memory of what we're to do. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. The teachings of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Every good work is found in the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. What else do we need? An infallible Pope, unmarried bishops, mass, cardinals, auricular confession, images and relics, praying to saints, purgatory, instrumental music, believing in miracles today, original sin, ultimate authority is the church, the blending of the Old Testament and the New Testament, mass, a perpetual sacrifice of Christ's blood, transubstantiation, Highly ritualistic worship. These are all very good words, and they're very five. They're most certainly five dollar words. But I'm show, I'm telling you, primary beliefs of the Catholic denomination, and none of them are found in the Bible. None of them. These are cornerstones of the Catholic belief, and none of them are found in the Bible. They're all found in tradition. So what we've got to walk out of here and figure out is: Is it okay to believe in the tradition? Or do we just want to go with God's Word? The Catholics like to say, if Catholics are wrong, then so are the Protestants. If Catholics are right, the Protestants are still wrong. What are you, wrong or right? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that. For three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. I cannot be a Catholic because of their view of church government. As we talked about this morning, and as I've read just here, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. The elders were set in plurality in every congregation. They were to watch over the flock. They were also supposed to watch out for themselves too because ravenous wolves would come in, in from among themselves and tear up the church. Church was organized with each congregation having Christ as its head. We read this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 that Christ is the head of the body, He's the head of the church. 
And each congregation was centered around the Bible. The Holy Spirit appointed elders or bishops over each congregation and still does today. Look over at 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's one of two places that we find the qualifications of an elder. 1 Timothy chapter chapter 3 verse, let's see, beginning with verse 1. It's, this is a faithful saying. If, if I get my cheater eyes here. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest, lest being puffed up with the pride, with pride he fall into the same condition, condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, Brother Shockley and I, we've been talking over the last few months. He's been studying with a young man who is, who is Catholic, and they've had uh, some good, good discussions. And Catholics claim that they gave us the Bible. Catholics claim they gave us the Bible. They gave the Bible to the whole world. Without the Catholic Church, they say, you wouldn't have the Bible. So why don't they follow it? That was Brother Shockley's conclusion. Why don't they follow it? Do you see this here? Do you see the inconsistency? I don't want to be a part of an inconsistency like this. Look at verse 2. Their bishops are not married. Their bishops aren't married. They don't rule a house and they have no children. What happened through time was gradual. It was gradual. Notice here the organization of the local church as revealed in the Bible and is witnessed by history as the church started on the day of Pentecost to around 150 each congregation had a plurality of elders that ruled that congregation they centered around the Bible notice what happens the organization of the local church around the second century they exalted one elder over the eldership just gradually they begin to slide they, they, they authorized one bishop over the eldership in the third century Notice the organization of the local church in 250 A.D. They had one bishop over many different congregations. And his own congregation as well. Notice how it slips and it slides. The organization of the local church in 300 A.D. There was one metropolitan or Dicean bishop uh, there. They had human creeds by then. The, the Council of Nicaea had come along in 325 A.D. And notice how it keeps falling. By 381, there was one patriarch over many metropolitans or one pope. Here's where the pope started coming in. This wasn't in God's original way. This was not, in, this is not found in God's word. And notice today, there's a world head that branches out into many different 
has. I just want you to see this. I want you to see how, how complicated this, this hierarchy is of government. And then I want you to see what the Bible says. How plain it is. How simple it is. Do you see? Jesus is the head of the church. The church is made up of elders, deacons, members. It's that simple. That's the Bible plan. That's the Bible way. Turn to Mark chapter 16. I cannot be Catholic because I wasn't born one, because they are a denomination, because of their view of Scripture and tradition, because of their view of church government, and also because of their view of baptism. Even the Catholic Church admits that baptism is immersion, and that's the way it was done in the beginning. But now it's different. Tradition trumps Scripture. Look at verse 16. Of Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Catholics say he who is baptized will be saved, and then later they can believe. They twist that scripture. But look again. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. A baby can't believe. A baby can't confess with its mouth. A baby can't repent of sin. This is my number one reason why I can't be a part of all denominations. Because of their view on baptism. Now, why I can't be a Catholic, these reasons that I give you for why I can't be a Catholic, these are the reasons why some are. Turn to John chapter 12, verse 47. John chapter 12, verse 47. John chapter 12. Now let me start in verse 44. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he... And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus says here, he says his words will judge me. Not, not your words, not the words of tradition, not the words of a pope somewhere, not the words of a bishop somewhere, not, not the, the words of the elders of this congregation, not the words of the deacons of this congregation, not the words of my wife, nor my children, nor my mom and daddy. His words are going to judge me. Not Joseph Smith, not Ellen G. White, not the Pope. His words tell me that without Him, without Jesus, I'm lost. Look over at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Now, let me back up to verse 10 there. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is in their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned. All of us are sinners. All of us are unworthy. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Me and you included. I'm lost without Jesus. I'm lost without Him. Without Him I have no hope. I'm a sinner. That's why I'm just a Christian. That's why I want to be just a Christian. Because in Christ I have hope. I have salvation. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says that one of these days Jesus Christ is coming back and He's going to take flaming fire vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we know what the gospel is because if we don't obey the gospel... Jesus Christ is going to take flaming fire vengeance out on us with His angels. So what's the gospel? Well, let's look. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Here we find the gospel. The gospel that saved the Corinthians then can save us now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, we find the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what's portrayed in the, in the picture here. Here we see Christ who died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb and He was raised on the third day. He beat death. He beat sin. And because He was raised, one of these days we have a chance to be raised as well. And notice how we obey that gospel. This is an event. How do you obey an event? How do you obey a crucifixion and a burial and a resurrection? Well, you go to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. We are baptized into His death. Baptized into His death. We're buried with Him in baptism to be raised to walk in newness of life. We're raised in, in a likeness of His resurrection to walk in newness of life. That's how you obey the gospel. You obey the death, burial, and resurrection by dying to yourself being buried in baptism, and being raised to walk in newness of life, just as the Bible says. That's why I'm a Christian, because this gives everybody hope. Everybody has hope if they follow it and do things God's way. Everybody does. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. Look here. All the spiritual blessings, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, all the spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. Notice, you, 
Outside of Christ, there are no spiritual blessings. I want to be a part of the spiritual blessings. Don't you? Don't you want to be, have all the spiritual blessings? Well, they're found in Christ Jesus. How do you get into Christ Jesus? Well, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. You're baptized into Christ. That's how you get into Him. All those outside that circle are lost. All those inside that circle are saved. Where do you stand tonight? Inside or outside? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We only need Jesus. We don't need men. Come right now. As together we stand and sing.